from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Well, we're back on the road this weekend for U.S. Farm Report from the World Pork Expo in Des Moines, Iowa. And here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. As we celebrate Pork Week, explosive demand for pork is aiding exports. It's been a really strong demand side that have driven uh, hog prices higher than I would have suspected six months ago. But the demand is also showing up at menus here at home. USDA's latest outlook at supply and demand was out this week. Now with the 75 million bushel, this is USDA tilting that they felt comfortable increasing the corn usage category for corn ethanol pretty strongly this month. But did the agency satisfy the appetite of those saying USDA hasn't done enough to account for the drought in Brazil? A pig with healing power. We were blindsided by leukemia. How this trusty animal became more of a companion for one Georgia high schooler during COVID-19. And in John's world, hog facilities with a view. Well, here in Des Moines, Iowa, pork producers, industry leaders have not walked these streets at World Pork Expo since 2018. But that all changed this week. The in-person event drew a crowd from across the country. Later on the show, we'll dive into the issues on the minds of the pork industry here in Des Moines this week. Now for the news. Well, market watchers keeping their eye on weather, but USDA did provide a fresh supply and demand numbers in the WASDE report on Thursday. USDA's report was a positive for corn prices, but spurred soybean prices to tumble. That's as USDA painted an optimistic picture for corn, reducing both beginning and ending stocks. The agency said that was based on robust exports, but also a rapid recovery for ethanol demand. In the latest corn ethanol production report uh, on a weekly basis, EIA, I'm um, sure the ethanol production hit a 15th month high for the week. USDA made slight adjustments to Brazil's corn crop. Drought is continuing to impact the crop there with USDA trimming its Brazil estimate by 3.5 million metric tons to 98.5 million. That's down from the 102 million metric tons last month. But it's still a far stretch from some private estimates with Stonex Group currently pegging Brazil's corn crop at 89.7 million metric tons. But Brown says the big surprise came in soybeans on Thursday with USDA raising both ending stocks for old crop as well as beginning stocks. That's as USDA is forecasting soybean crush to drop 15 million bushels, soybean oil exports to fall 400 million bushels. At the same time, the agency is expecting more soybean meal imports into the U.S. Well, the new EPA administrator announcing changes to the waters of the U.S. rule. His agency filing a motion with the Department of Justice to remand the rule that's been in place since June of last year. The agency saying it's working with the Army on the project. The EPA says that a review of the navigable waters protection rule shows a significant reduction in clean water protections, especially in New Mexico and Arizona, where it says nearly every one of over 15 streams assessed has been found to be non-jurisdictional. Now, ag groups such as the American Farm Bureau Federation calling the announcement extremely disappointing, with Republican lawmakers vowing to fight it. A federal judge is halting payments in a COVID-19 stimulus loan forgiveness program designed to help farmers of color. The temporary restraining order was handed down by a judge in Wisconsin's Eastern District. The original lawsuit was filed by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, representing 12 farmers. The program from USDA provided $4 billion to pay off direct or guaranteed loans given to farmers of color. Well, the U.S. announcing this week a creation of a new strike force to combat what they call unfair trade practices. 
The so-called supply chain trade strike force will be led by the U.S. Trade Representative. Administration officials say it will look for specific violations that have contributed to a hollowing out of supply chains that could be addressed with trade remedies. The administration saying the task force will address the bottlenecks in the semiconductor, construction, transportation, as well as agriculture sectors. The review also includes a look at the U.S.-China phase one trade deal that went into effect last February. $11 million. That's how much JBS says it paid to hackers who broke into its computer system last week, stopping production for a short time at meat plants in the U.S. and Australia. The payment was made in the form of Bitcoin. JBS saying the vast majority of the company's facilities were operational when the ransom was paid. But it says the payment was intended to prevent further disruption and limit the potential impact on restaurants, grocery stores, as well as farmers. Well, a big topic here at World Pork Expo this week, that's line speeds at packing plants. And yet the issue may not be dead in the water just yet. Ag Secretary Tom Bilsack speaking with reporters this week, saying no decision has been made yet on appealing a ruling that happened in March. That's when a judge said line speeds needed to be slowed at six plants operating under the new swine inspection system. Last month, USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service said the six facilities should prepare to revert to their old speeds of 1,106 animals per hour at the end of this month. That's when the decision goes into effect. But Vilsack says in any case, the decision is up to the Solicitor General. Well, it was definitely toasty here at World Pork Expo this week in Des Moines, Iowa. We will get a check of weather with Mike Hoffman. That's next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. As your innovative and invested partner, Merck Animal Health is dedicated to the well-being of the swine industry and the people behind it. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. for a check of weather with meteorologist Mike Hoffman. Mike, Mother Nature brought the heat this week, even if it wasn't the record heat. Areas like North Dakota saw last weekend. Good morning to you, Tyne. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of relief this week for a lot of these dry areas, especially the northern plains throughout the west. Root zone is a lot of times um, showing you what is happening at the moment a lot more than the drought monitor is. It's showing you currently how dry it is becoming again. Even though you had rain a week or two ago in a lot of this area, not so much lately. And so this is extremely dry again, especially eastern North Dakota and South Dakota on over into uh, Minnesota, northwestern Wisconsin. Look at these wet areas. All the rain that they have had, southern half of the Mississippi River Valley. There's dry areas now, parts of Michigan, western Pennsylvania into uh, parts of New England. So those are all concerns. Here's the drought monitor then. It's actually improved a little bit, parts of uh, North and South Dakota, not in the real center of it there. But unfortunately, with the um, root zone moisture looking the way it is, I have the feeling this will start to expand again. But this really has improved over the last month in the far western central plains and southern plains. Uh, we are seeing some dry areas, though, uh, Carolinas, parts of Michigan, southern Wisconsin, northern portions of Illinois, back into northern Iowa. So here's the jet stream. As we head through this week, big ridge pops in the west. That's the heat. Cools down in the east, where it has been hot. And uh, that's going to be very comfortable, but also very dry conditions. So some of these dry areas, Great Lakes in the northeast, I don't see a lot of rain coming your way. Uh, the next piece of energy starts to dive into the Great Lakes as we head through the end of the week. That has a little moisture with it, but it's also going to bring some cooler air. 
once again to those areas, Great Lakes in the northeast and even a little farther south. The heat then continues and the dry weather out west. Here's Monday. It's Flag Day, so I thought I'd throw the, uh, the stars and stripes up there, but you can see a stationary front throughout the southeast with some scattered showers and thunderstorms. A system in the northeast, I don't see widespread rain out of this, but nonetheless a little bit. Northeast into the far eastern Great Lakes, next system coming into the Pacific Northwest. Wednesday then, there's that heat in the west. This system's trying to come into that big ridge. It eventually does, as you'll see on Friday. But it's a cooler air there for the Great Lakes in the northeast behind this secondary front. Not a lot of moisture there, mainly in Florida, just scattered activity uh, with that stationary front. By Friday then, that front is moving quickly through eastern Canada, dragging a cold front down into the northern plains and the Great Lakes with some scattered showers with that. <clears throat> Still mild through most of the east, cooler behind that front and very warm and dry out west. 30 to outlook for temperatures. I'm going above normal mid-Atlantic, northeast Great Lakes, northern plains and the west. Below normal in the wet areas from Kansas all the way to the Gulf Coast. 30 to outlook for precipitation. Above normal southern Great Lakes to the Gulf Coast. Below normal, unfortunately, northern plains through most of the west. Tyne. Thanks, Mike. Well, when we come back, pork producers here at World Pork Expo experiencing better prices, good demand, but can it last the rest of this year? We'll talk about it in our marketing roundtables next. Got equipment to sell privately but tired of scams and hassles? Visit MachineRepeat.com and click Sell Mine. MachineRepeat.com, the simple and secure way to buy and sell equipment online. U.S. Farm Report at the 2021 World Pork Expo is brought to you by the Pork Checkoff, celebrating pork and the people who bring it to your table through real pork. More details are available at porkcheckoff.org. Welcome back to the special edition of U.S. Farm Report from World Pork Expo right here in Des Moines, Iowa. Excited for our panel of economists joining us today. Joe, I'll start with you because... Really, the supply side here in the U.S., when you come to the hog herd, I mean, we kind of had some surprises in the last um, hogs and pigs report out from USDA. Now that we're expecting another one in June, do you think that we'll have even more supply shocks? Yeah, and, and I like what you say because we've had surprises perhaps from two different issues. Number one, the hogs and pigs report in and of itself in March showed uh, fewer animals than was anticipated. It was a bullish uh, surprise to the market. The other piece of that is given the vacancy that we've got with barns across the entire Midwest is I thought we had some pretty tangible evidence of, of even further shortages uh, that might be evidencing themselves. Uh, but yet our, our pace of harvest has remained relatively static. Uh, the, the, the environment that we're in right now that's characterized by triple digit hogs is not about a shortage of supply. It's about demand. And that's a that's a fantastic story for pork producers. Yeah, and we'll talk about demand, but real quick, when you look at maybe some surprises that we may see out of USDA, is this due to the higher feed costs today, or are we still trying to get a handle on what happened during the pandemic? I, I think we are still fully trying to get a handle on the pandemic. We dropped a very big rock into a small pond, and, and the ripples are going to continue. They're not going to abate uh, for quite some time. Uh, th this, this upcoming report, the June report, will be the first one that's kind of on the back of, of June of 2020 when we started to really disrupt things. And so the year-over-year -year comparison is going to be next to impossible. And I think we're, we're in for that for the next four quarters. So uh, the users of that data 
I, I want to caution you about the year-over-year -year comparison in finding something meaningful. Uh, I, I think we're still in a very favorable environment. I don't believe that we've produced ourselves out of prosperity, and I'm looking for uh, good times to, to maintain for quite some time. Well, Christine, Joe mentioned demand, and demand has been phenomenal. I mean, when you look at domestic demand, but also when you look at exports, the latest USMEF numbers showed that we hit record exports for the month, despite exports being down 20% to China. Where is this demand coming from? You know, it, it, it's a mix. Um, we've seen really strong exports into traditional markets like Mexico, where you know they're a little short on supply right now due to their own uh, production issues. And then we've seen it kind of a smattering to other markets. Obviously, the Philippines, where they've had similar uh, African swine fever outbreaks. You've seen uh, a, a pretty broad swath of exports into Central America. So it's. It's not concentrated in any one market, and I think that is a testament to the hard work you know, a lot of the associations have been doing to grow the number of markets uh, that we, we export to and not rely on any one market. And I think that is a really critical piece of our export strategy. Well, we're going to pick your brain in a minute about China because that is a key question. But Dermot, do you think that the strong demand that we've been seeing all across the board for U.S. pork, can it continue? So part of it was that food service does not serve as much pork as we consume when we eat at home. And so now that we're getting back into food service and away from home, we may lose some of that. Uh, I, I'm not a big grocery shopper, but in the lockdown, I, I ended up in Sam's Club and I noticed that pork loin was $2 a pound or, and uh, beef was $8 a pound. And so I started eating more pork and uh, that doesn't happen when you go to a restaurant. So that we may lose some of that. And on the export side, we'll be lucky to break even with last year. So a little bit less demand perhaps going forward than we have right now. Christine, do you agree with that? I do. Um, I think we're looking at kind of, you know, that weakness in exports to China being offset by exports to other countries. I think when you look domestically, um, you know, I do think the stimulus has paid, played a big role. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of uh, traditional consumers have more money in their pockets today even with you know the disruption in our economy and as a result you know they are taking advantage of, of very you know abundant protein supplies to to go out and, and buy more and of higher quality so i think that um we're seeing actually some weakness at the lower end of the range which i think is really interesting you know people trading up actually in this environment which i hadn't anticipated in front of of you know, the COVID disruption. So yeah, we'll see how that plays out in the coming months, but I think it was a really interesting insight in the last few. Well, as we mentioned, China still is a big wild card in trying to get a handle on just what is production there, what potentially could demand be there. We will talk about that later on U.S. Farm Report. Well, China is the largest pork producer in the world, and the country may be taking their production to new heights. Here's John Phipps. By now, if you follow any ag media, you've probably seen pictures like this. Multi-story hog farrowing and finishing buildings, often in megaplexes with tens of thousands of pigs. I call them skyscrapers. Like that? Like most Chinese industrial developments, I'm sure there are good reasons why these facilities are popping up. The obvious one is the shortage of farmland in China. China still has around a half billion individual farmers, and a significant portion of their hog production is from these tiny farms. 
Despite efforts to consolidate farms and move people to the cities, the traditions of land tenure, remember the state owns all the land, and the problem of what these farmers would do in the cities, recent events have added new impetus favoring huge facilities, namely Asian swine flu, which decimated maybe half their hog population in the last three years. ASF is virtually impossible to contain on little bitty farms, but these new operations implement isolation practices that seem to provide solutions. Workers live on site most of the time, for example, in what are essentially dormitories except for specific intervals. This idea was perfected by their computer industry, such as Foxconn. All traffic undergoes decontamination worthy of a nuclear reactor site. But it was this picture that truly fascinated me. This is a huge hog building complex on top of a mountain. Crudely put, my first thought was, surely they know that stuff flows downhill. Then I began researching as best I could how these pork megaplexes solve one of producers' biggest headaches, how to handle the immense amount of manure. Almost surely the Chinese have some answers, but all I could find references to were waste treatment facilities. How they distribute the byproduct over thousands of tiny farms baffles me. Or they may be simply ignoring these problems, polluting rivers and overloading without regulation. Even dried to solid form, the problem of phosphate loading on farmland, not to mention nutrient runoff, is a formidable challenge. If viewers, anybody out there really knows how megaplexes are doing this in China, I would love to have a link. But it raises for me a larger question. If such waste technology is in use in China, why not here? Has our relative abundance of farmland allowed us to fall behind in waste processing technology? Pictures this winter on social media of Midwest manure being spread on frozen farmland does not reassure me that our pork producers are rising to the significant nutrient, odor, and sanitation challenges. Are there solutions in China that we can reverse engineer just like they have in other industries? Thanks, John. Well, when we come back, Machinery Repeat, he has tractor tails this weekend. America's Conservation Ag Movement, a national partnership to help farmers scale conservation for their businesses, the environment, and their communities. To learn more, visit agweb.com ACAM. Hey folks, a very cool Tractor Tales for you this week. We're gonna visit with my friend Steve Planbeck from Kennesaw, Nebraska. Two awesome tractors, a special John Deere 4430 and a John Deere 4020 high crop. Hey folks, I'm here with Steve Planbeck from Kennesaw, Nebraska. Now you've got a, a number of tractors on display here. Steve, tell us about your 4430. This is the third 4430 built. So serial number 1002. The first serial number was 1000. So are, this is the third one built. Does anybody know where one and two are? Actually we do. So we know where 1000 is and we know where 1001 is. So Piece of history, number three iconic yeah, tractor. I think it's got the fifth Soundguard cab built. So it's, you know, I'd, I'd like to know the build dates and everything, but it'd be interesting to know if it was all built on one. It had to be one of the first few days of the 30 series production. Right. So. Well, let's spin around here, Steve, and get a look at your uh, amazingly restored 65-40-20 LP synchro high crop. Yeah. Uh, this was uh, a disaster when we got it and everything. <laughs> Where did you get it? A friend of mine uh, in Iowa had found it years ago, drug it out of the swamps of 
Louisiana, wow. southern Louisiana. And, uh, but yeah, it's one of 12 built, and there was 12 LP synchros built. There was four LP power shift high crops built. And Steve, and do you do the restoration work yourself on this stuff? I do. I got a couple guys that help me in everything, and uh, yeah. It's labor of love? Labor, I, yeah, labor of love. It's, you know, you learn a lot through the years and everything, what you do, what you don't do. Thanks, Greg. Well, more than a year after packing plants shut down, directly impacting pork producers, have these producers fully recovered? That's our Farm Journal Report next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Welcome back to our Pork Week coverage from World Pork Expo. Well, a year ago, World Pork Expo was called off due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and pork producers were on the front lines of packing plants shutting down. That's as profits tumbled. The latest sterling profit tracker shows the average farrow to finish operator is looking at $91 per head profits right now. That's $146 better than this time last year. But producers are still working to recover from the pandemic. And that's this week's Farm Journal report. I do the same thing every day. I always get in the same pen to begin with. A peek inside this Iowa pig barn shows a routine that's been crafted with years of work. A daily routine for Amanda Adam and one with attention paid to every detail. I try the best I can to be consistent about it because if I just get into the pens haphazardly, I'm more likely to miss something. The Washington, Iowa pork producer has been back on the farm for 12 years, and this past year was one of the hardest. The first thing that came to my mind was, what are we going to do about keeping our employees safe? At a time when sites were set on employee safety, pork processing plants were also seeing challenges, an issue that started in the spring and one Adam says wasn't resolved until September. We also utilized secondary markets last year to sell off some of the pigs that um, maybe were undervalued pigs. It really wasn't a profitable position to be in or a favorable price, but it was still favorable to the alternative. Stress coming at a time when pork prices were also painful to watch. But if there's anything I know about this industry, we've been up and we've been down and um, we always find a way to get through this. And one thing that was never pushed to the side was the focus on beefing up biosecurity. I also look for things like diarrhea, um, anything that would alert me to, to an illness. Treating those that need it while protecting these animals from any possible diseases. It's still important that we pay attention to those things because these great prices would be dramatically changed by um, a foreign animal disease coming in here. Dr. Dave Pyburn, chief veterinarian at the National Pork Board, says while talk of African swine fever has seemed to simmer, pork producers can't let their guard down. We absolutely every day have increased risk. We continue to watch in both Europe and in Asia as it continues to break on more farms, break in more feral swine, expand the territory where we know African swine fever is causing disease in pigs and causing pig mortality as well. So we've got to do everything we can here to prevent disease. One way is through AgView, a fully running animal identification system produced by the pork checkoff. What we've seen when we look at other industries as they respond to foreign animal diseases, the real, uh, the real issue or the real slowdown in a foreign animal disease response and recovery has been in getting that real-time producer data to the state veterinarian so they can figure out where disease is and where it's not 
and then know where to de deploy their resources very quickly. A priority from Iowa to Washington, D.C., as MPPC knows producers are still recovering from the pandemic. Hopefully we can continue this run for a while, that demand stays high, that will give us opportunities. Um, and I don't think we're back to ground zero yet, but, but people are healing. A story of resilience as pork producers work to recover for more than just the pandemic. There's a lot um, of opportunity in 2021. I came back to the farm in 2008, which was an interesting year to come back. And I've seen how things go after a year where prices get really jacked up and everything looks good. Well, a lot of other prices follow that too. Well, demand really has been the shining star for pork producers this past year. We'll have more on that when we come back. U.S. Farm Report at the 2021 World Pork Expo is brought to you by the Pork Checkoff. Celebrating pork and the people who bring it to your table through real pork. More details are available at porkcheckoff.org. Welcome back to our special edition of U.S. Farm Reporter, right? Jumping back into our marketing roundtables. Talked a lot about supply, talked a lot about demand. Before we get into China, feed costs. We know that that has been an issue uh, and really changing outlooks when you look at the, the fantastic pork price, I mean, uh, hog prices that some are seeing. But when you look at feed costs, is there any light in the tunnel that you think maybe we could see a softening of those? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we, are, we are dead set in a weather market. It's uh, onset a little bit earlier this year than it normally would have. Uh, you've seen the price appreciation that occurred at a time frame where the farmers could actually do something about it, and that is plant the crop. Uh, normally we'd see these type of, of price movements and volatility occur in July or August when we're in the throes of some type of production difficulty. Them happening early enough probably gives a little bit of optimism that we're going to find some acres that were lost in that March report. Uh, if we get some timely rains during pollination, that's all that's going to be. But we're, we're putting all the cards on the table. Because of the cool, dry spring that we had, the crop went in in, a, in very fine fashion, but it emerged very, very slowly. And so uh, we recently had taken some trips out uh, to Indiana, Minnesota. You can't tell the difference between the size of the corn. And the reason I bring that up, Tyne, is that if we end up with, with the type of weather that we're having right now, this hot, dry scenario, through that pollination window, we're, we're in a world of hurt. And there is, uh, uh, there, there is a premium built into the market. I think it's very appropriate that it's built into the market. Uh, and if we see uh, th those timely rains occur, we, yes, we have an opportunity to see a dollar plus come out of the corn market. Wow. Well, let's switch gears to China. Christine, you know, as we've been seeing decent hog prices here in the U.S., that does not seem like that's been the case in, in China. What is going on? Well, uh, we have pieces of the puzzle. I think part of the complication with China is it's always difficult to get great information, right? So, you know, we in the United States, I think most of us on this panel all struggle uh, to, to get reliable and timely information. We, we have a network of people that we rely on and, and sources that we rely on. Rabobank has an office in China uh, that we work with closely. And I think it's, it's part of a mosaic. We try to put that all together. And part of the challenge right now is some of those traditional sources that we've used are no longer available. Um, China really has clamped down on a lot of those traditional sources. And as a result, the flow of information is, is, is obviously slow, um, and, and you don't necessarily have the same confidence uh, in that data maybe that you used to have. So 
right now, what I can tell you out of China is that you know it continues to be very volatile. Prices, as reported, are down some 50 plus percent, uh, and it's it's actually now uh, most of those producers there are operating below break even. So it is a bit of a, a struggle to piece it all together, especially with less reliable data. Um, which is, is really, I think, part of the challenge that analysts have in, in having a lot of confidence yeah. in making a call on China right now. So. Dermot, so will we have a handle? I mean, you know, you look at the, the headlines, they're competing right now. Has China recovered from ASF? We see the strong demand for feed, yet then you see reports of the prices not being there. Do you think we will ever have a handle on the true size and, and, and if they're able to rebuild post-ASF? So uh, what I watch is the price of piglets, and they're down, and uh, the Chinese futures markets, which was way high until a couple of weeks ago, is now down too. So that suggests to me that they are making progress. But that's progress that's coming nine months after they claimed they were making progress. Um, and about the, um, the shutdown of the new service agencies, China bought almost a billion tons, of, uh, a billion bushels of corn from us at a relatively low price, lo a price that's much lower than we would have sold it to them if we'd known they were going to buy a billion bushels. And so it's, it's playing to their advantage and our disadvantage. All right. Well, we need to take a quick break, and then we'll have more right here from World Pork Expo. Well, as we've been talking about this weekend, consumers can't seem to get enough of pork, both here at home and around the world. And 2021 may just be the year of pork when it comes to demand. It's been a really strong demand side that have driven uh, hog prices higher than I would have suspected six months ago. From the bacon jam cheeseburger now available at Sonic to IHOP launching a bacon obsession menu featuring candy bacon pancakes and maple bacon milkshakes. Bacon isn't just back, it's a staple on many menus. We've got these loins, uh, uh, again, stronger above a dollar. Yes, Bellies are high as well, and bacon's been doing well, but seeing what might have been a traditional grocery store purchase like loins continue to, to, to be high here in 2021, that's some good news for the pork industry. The pork craze is fueled by demand that continues to heat up coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. And here we sit now in June of 2021, and we have uh, nearly record high hog prices, record high uh, pork cutouts. As restaurants cash in on a growing hunger for pork, retail is also seeing shoppers have an increased desire for pork. I do wonder if we haven't allowed consumers to refine pork a little bit in terms of uh, on the grill, uh, in the home, as, a, as, as well as away from home. National Pork Board CEO Bill Evans says during the pandemic, consumers went from over 50% of the food dollar spent dining out to a sudden switch of 95% of that dollar spent on eating at home. And what we learned in that conversation was really what happened with ground pork. People are accustomed to grabbing a hamburger, and which is fine. But suddenly, when the stores were starting to run empty, people started grabbing ground pork and started experimenting with it and found, oh, wow, this is really tasty. It's really versatile. National Pork Board is even piloting new ground pork offerings with some national grocery stores. And he says the change in consumers' taste could last. I think that's a pretty exciting thing, positive thing, that actually came out of the pandemic. Yeah, people tried new, new foods and liked them, and ground pork was one of them. 
As more shoppers turn to pork, the National Pork Board is cooking up another opportunity with what's called real pork. Real pork is a way to give voice to real farmers on real farms that have real pigs that produce real pork. And we're really proud of what we're doing. From the traditional advertising and marketing to consumers, even says it was time to flip the focus. Here we sit in 2021. It's about giving voice to the producer and talking to the consumer who loves our product, but also has questions about uh, how that product is raised. That increased demand for U.S. pork isn't just happening in the U.S. We see places like Mexico who's starting to increase uh, their trade with us. So some COVID-19 recovery maybe is part of what's happening here in 2021. A growing hunger for U.S. pork. That's a refreshing trend for pork producers across the U.S. All right, we need to take a quick break. And then John Phipps, he has customer support this weekend. Working hard may look like hardly working. Join Andrew McCray for Farming the Countryside, a farmer-focused podcast all about production agriculture. Brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven, the nitrogen-producing microbes that stay put, whether or not. Visit pivotbio.com. Defining hard work. Here's John Phipps. This from Lynn Nelson of North Liberty, Iowa. Is it my imagination or do people just not want to work anymore? Whether it's a byproduct of support payments, generational dynamics, overstimulation with electronic devices, cultural pretense, individualism, or whatever else, it seems to me a higher majority of persons entering the workforce are squeamish of physical labor. There's just not the same level of determination or follow-through. Lynn, I think many of us mature citizens have had similar thoughts, but there could be several things going on here. You list many, and they're applicable, but as far as support payments, I was surprised to discover in few states do most unemployed workers receive any payments. The national average is only 29%. Many, like farmers, aren't eligible because they don't pay into the system in the first place, or they make too little, or are seasonal. So the extended benefits could be one, but certainly not the only reason. During our careers, we often discounted other labor if they, people didn't get sweaty or dirty. The simple truth is 60% of our labor force are now knowledge workers and sitting in front of a screen may not register as hard work. However, the 10 to 12 hours a week I take to produce six minutes of video sure feels like work to me. The, the economics of physical labor are not great either. My grandson is spending the summer picking fruit in an orchard while his classmate makes far more from advertisers on his TikTok account. Physical labor is often irregular or seasonal with limited chance for advancement and no benefits. Given today's labor shortages, why should people choose hard physical labor with little future? People tout trades as a good choice, but the relatively good pay often associated with trades, it depends on strong unions, which are declining. One after effect of the pandemic was that it forced many workers to take other jobs, and many found those new jobs were just better. The hospitality industry is discovering this now as they try to reopen. Bartenders and waitstaff have discovered better occupations without rock-bottom wages and dependence on tips. One last observation is simply our memory quirks. Our brain curate, curates our memories to make us feel better. 
I just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. And the stories that were told by different people make me wonder if I was even at the same ceremony. The bottom line is people are probably working as hard as ever, especially in low-paying jobs. But today's work doesn't match our questionable memories or make economic sense. Thanks, John. Well, when we come back, a heartwarming story, one about a family bond that extends beyond the show ring. Well, showing livestock is often a family affair. It requires a lot of time and attention to detail. But for one Georgia teenager, her show pig became more of a companion during COVID-19. Curtis Show Pigs in Thompson, Missouri is a small family operation. We're just having a lot of fun with it at this point. The one with a big reach farrowing twice a year. We farrow in the summer again and have just developed a relationship with some Georgia ag teachers and Florida ag teachers and just send a lot down there in the fall that will show in February and March down there. A loyal list of clients spanning from the Midwest to the Southeast. We delivered some pigs down just like we always do. Um, and a week later, I got a text message from the mom of this girl um, saying that their trailer had burned and the pig, they'd lost the pig and she was wanting to replace the pig. So, and wanted to purchase another one from us. Tragedies like that happen with barn fires and just tragedies with the animals. And usually we don't have pigs left. And thankfully it had just happened and we still had pigs. With pigs still in these pens, the Curtises knew exactly what they needed to do. The Curtises were gifting this family another pig out of generosity. But the story didn't stop there. Sent a little text message just hoping for an update on the pig, but um, got instead um, an update on the family situation that her dad had been diagnosed with cancer. The diagnosis that came for this family the day they were gifted the show pig. We were blindsided by COVID. And then with leukemia, I was like, oh my gosh, because we went and picked up her pig that morning. Um, and that afternoon, I took him to our local oncologist here in Blairsville, and I didn't even know what an oncologist was. And I was actually at the pig barn at the time, and she called me on the phone, and she's like, Dad has cancer. With those words came a flood of emotions as reality started to set in. I just felt like God did not want us to show people this year. I was like, oh shoot, we got a pig already. What am I gonna do now? We're gonna bring him with us. <laughs> so that's what they did. Jimmy Dean, as they called him, was what helped Miriam have at least some piece of normalcy while her dad was undergoing cancer treatment in Atlanta in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. I walked down the streets. We lived in, like my grandma lives in a little neighborhood and I would walk down the culvert every day with a pig. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. see all the neighbors looking pointed at the pig. They brought a piece of home with them and a steady routine to keep her mind off the reality of her dad's diagnosis. In the middle of COVID and leukemia, Jimmy Dean brought us normalcy. This made life normal. This is what we do. This is what we did every year previous. And he just made us feel like, okay, we're, we're still doing this. We're still going on. She's still showing this year, even though we'd miss show after show. But it was normal. With COVID, everybody was normal. And with another family crisis going on, we want it normal. As the Kings were battling the fight against cancer as a family, the Curtis family in Missouri was also learning about the miles Miriam went to still care for her show pig. That just hit me so hard of the, I just said, oh my, that's some dedication. That became our theme, but it's so much more than about a t-shirt, it's just, the inspiration that she gave me and then I knew that it would inspire so many other people. I'm just amazed by them. As for the Kings, 
Chris's journey is just getting started. I'm just going now to keep the dog to prove wrong. And we knew when God could do this, we knew God could cure him. No matter what chemo or what Six months, stem cell transplant these doctors wanted to do, God can. He can. And he did. <laughs> right now, I have 100% bill of health. Chris is cancer-free in remission, and they got that news on the same day that um, Jimmy Dean went to slaughter. So that pig got Miriam through the exact number of days that her dad was fighting cancer. And I just, the symbolism of that and how much these animals mean to all of us, it's just meant, it's a story meant to be told. As lessons about life and reminders about the strength of family and faith extended beyond the show ring. What a way to end the show. Well, that does it for a Pork Week coverage from World Pork Expo. A big thanks to the National Pork Board for hosting us in their hospitality tent this week. Be sure to tune in next week as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.